It's incredible that this moment we get to explore in Jesus' life tonight. And if you've been tracking with us over the course of the John series, you would know that John is a little bit different to every other account of Jesus' life. John's a little bit different. He doesn't go much so, so much into the what of Jesus' life. He doesn't like do these deep chronologies about this happened and then this happened and this person and all that kind of thing. No, no. John's much more concerned, not so much about the what Jesus did, but about who Jesus is. That, that's who John is trying to reveal to us. And so, um, yeah, John's account is very different. And if you think back to the, the very start of the series, this whole thing began. John start. do you remember what it was? In the beginning. John's narrative doesn't just start with, you know, the, the, the birth of Jesus. He goes all the way back, all the way back to the very beginning of time itself when Jesus brought substance out of nothing. Last week, Simon uh, led us through what has to be one of the most audacious and incredible claims of Jesus, that he is the resurrection and the life. That's the little mini-series that we're in at the moment, that not only is he capable of bringing life, a future hope for eternity, but he's capable of bringing life in all its fullness today. Amen? Amen. Man, I'm preaching to myself. This is going to be good. Okay. <laughs> um, like, we heard last week, last week, Jesus literally raises someone from the dead. I mean, okay, let, let's just do this little experiment here. I want you to turn to the person next to you. Just take a real intimate, deep moment. A lot of heads not turning at the moment. <laughs> turn to the person next to you. Imagine that last Sunday, that person was dead. Yeah, okay, it got a bit dark. Okay, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Imagine, but imagine that, like a week ago, the person that you're sitting next to was like dead, 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 dead. And then, and then now alive and well. And if you're anything like me, you, your mind does a little bit of a backflip, like trying to comprehend that, right? It's a bit weird. But that's the context of what's happening as, as we pick up the story this week. And not only this, but we begin to lead into um, what is happening. Oh, my notes just got all confused. Awesome, Josh, man. Preaching 101, get your notes sorted. Come on. Um, so, so we, we, we lead, lead into what happens to be like the very last week of Jesus' life here on earth. And so we've gone from the very beginning of time, from the very start of time itself, to the three years of Jesus' ministry. And now John brings us to this, this climactic point, the point of, at which you know, all of human history revolves around. And we're going to look at, at the, this last week. But before we get there, before we get into that, there's, there's this little story, this little story of, of this moment of incredible incredible intimacy and of worship. And, it, and it's this beautiful picture of love poured out on Jesus. And, and so that's, that's where we're in tonight. We're going to read this story a little bit. We're going to start in John chapter 11, verse 55. Uh, I'm really hoping it's going to come up on the screen because that was absolutely part of my notes. Uh, so <laughs> if it, um, we're going to read that together. And if you've got it in your Bibles, you can read along. It's going to be awesome. So, hey, let's read this together. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, What do you think? 
Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report him so that they might arrest him. And then into, into chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Whoa, mind trip. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray Jesus, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Wow, what an incredible story. Hey, can we pray? Let's pray. Jesus... I'm asking tonight that it's not my words that people hear, but that it's yours. That, Jesus, you would speak so clearly into the lives of of people's hearts and minds tonight that we walk out of here completely different, completely transformed more into your likeness. And, Jesus, I'm, I'm asking, I'm asking that anything that's of me would fall away and all that remains is Jesus. In your precious name, amen. Amen. Hey, so good. Um, do, do you guys know, if I said what a PDA is, do you guys know what I'm talking about, a PDA? I'm not talking about one of those like little electronic devices from the late 90s, early 2000s. I'm talking about a public display of affection. Yeah, that's right. I was on my way to the cinemas once, and uh, the cinemas that I went to, uh, you had to go from the car park down into kind of like the food court of this shopping center where the cinemas were. And, and it kind of looked a little bit like this picture. Danny, have you got that one for us? So as the person in this picture so aptly demonstrates, it feels to me like engineers around the world got together and decided to play a prank on the rest of humanity because they didn't make escalators wide enough for two people to stand comfortably side by side? No, no. They didn't make it so that you, you, know, you could overtake a person on an escalator comfortably. No, 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 no. They got the space of two like regular people and they just shrunk it just a wee bit. Just a wee bit. So you can't get around anyone on an escalator. And so as I, I was running a bit late for the movie, let's be honest, running a bit late for the movie, I raced down onto these escalators and man, there's this couple there on these escalators they must have been maximizers, I tell you what, because they decided to take the 30 seconds of this journey and they were, they were really working on their relationship to get, like really, really intimately, really intimately working on their relationship. Okay, let's be honest, there was some saliva swapping going on. There was some mad patch rash. There was some tongue wrestling happening. And, and you, couldn't, you couldn't get away from it. It was just, it was right there. It was right there for all to see. And, and you know, I can't, I can't slip around. These guys are in their own world. And like, I don't, if you're anything like me, when you're confronted with this kind of uh, public display of affection to that kind of level, you've, you've got three reactions, okay? You've got three very distinct uh, reactions in a particular order. The very first reaction is shock, you know? It's like, it's like ah, what? What's, what's that? What's, what's the, what's the, what's the, and the, and the, and the tongue and the everything? And, you know, it's, it's shock, right? Second, second reaction is, is, it's disgust, let's be honest. That's what it is. It's a bit of disgust. It's like, it's like, yeah. Yeah, with, and the, 
ooh, and then you've got your third reaction, which is, I'm going to define it as as just anger. Like, here? Right here? Like, you could do that in the privacy of your own home, but right here, on the escalator, right now, seriously? So you've got those three reactions, right? What three reactions? Ah! Right? Three reactions. Very distinct. And there is no way that I can avoid it. There's, I can't get around them. I can't, they're, they're just in the zone there. And I had to literally stand behind this couple while they played tonsil tennis the entire way down the escalators. It was, it was, it was special, I tell you what. Um, and you know what? The, we've got in this, in this story tonight, in this account of, of Jesus, we've got this, this story that on one hand might come across a little bit like uh, this really overt public display of affection. This really sort of strange little story where we're looking at it going, is, okay, I, I can see what Mary's doing there with the perfume and the, and the pouring and everything like that. But, but the first question we need to ask is, what's really going on here? What, what's really happening? Because we don't, like if we take it at face value, it comes across to us as just a little bit weird, let's be honest. The, the second question that we, we sort of need to ask ourselves is, um, if it's, if, why, why would Mary do this for Jesus? What is it about Jesus that makes Mary want to behave in this way? What, what is she responding to? And, and so if we think back, we, we, you'd remember that last week Simon taught about Lazarus. And so you might think may, maybe this is just some kind of like response of gratitude that Mary's got. Maybe she's just saying, you know what, Jesus, I'm so thankful for all that you've done. And yep, absolutely. I think gratitude is a huge part of what Mary's doing. But I think there's so much more to it than that. And that, that's exactly what, what we want to get into tonight. Um, Now, what we discover, I think, in this passage is that Mary's actions are actually one of the most profound, intimate, and beautiful and costly acts of worship that we see given to Jesus in all of the scriptures. Absolutely incredible. And, and you can kind of say, okay, wait, hold up a second, Josh. What do you mean by this being an act of worship? Like... Isn't this Mary just pouring some perfume on Jesus' feet? Maybe it's a bit of an OTTPDA. Get the lingo, come on. Um, but, but how is this worship? I mean, you're right. Worship can be a really confusing term. We, we use it to mean so many different things. We can talk about worship as when the church gathers together and we sing, sing songs about Jesus and to Jesus and for Jesus. We call that worship. That's great. You know, when we, when we live a life that honors Jesus and glorifies him with everything, every part of our being, that's we call that worship as well. Even sometimes we give a portion of our income to Jesus and we say that that's worship. And it's all right, absolutely. All of those things are worship, but it's also so much more than that. You know, at its most basic form, worship means to show honor to an object. It comes from a word that means worthiness, literally worth-ship. That's what worship means. So practically speaking, whenever we give honor or worth to something, we're worshiping. We're worshiping. That's why as humans, we can literally worship anything, anything. Whenever we elevate a portion of our our time, our money, our thoughts, our attentions, our bodies, our aspirations, anytime we do anything like that, we're worshipping something. So it pays to make sure we're worshipping the right something, yeah? Yeah, I think it is. Come on. Hey, 
the two key things I really want us to grab about worship tonight, okay? If you're taking notes, write these things down. The first thing is that worship is always giving of ourselves, always giving something of us to make something or someone else greater. Worship's never thinking about, what can I get out of it? Worship's never thinking about a a transactional attitude. It's always completely one-directional, and it's always focused away from ourselves. Got that? Got it? Yep, great, excellent. Second thing is, the depth of worship, the depth of worship, how much we worship, is determined by who? Have a think about it. Who determines the depth of worship? We do. It's us. The ones who give the worship are determine the depth or the extent of worship. So it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? We only worship to the extent or to the depth that we believe something is worth. Yeah? Makes sense? Well, okay. I'm going to take that as a yes. Good. Hey, there's some absolutely cracking examples of not worship in this, in this passage that we read. Um, John, talk, firstly, he talks about the many, the crowd, who went to Jerusalem and they're waiting for Jesus to turn up. But they're not really there for Jesus. They're there for the spectacle, let's be honest. They've heard about Jesus feeding thousands and thousands of people from just the contents of a little boy's lunchbox. They've heard about him healing the lame and the blind. They've seen him confront the religious leaders and and, and really take them to task on their spiritual blindness. They've even seen Jesus raise someone for the the dead. How incredible is that? They've seen all these things. And they see all these things, but, but really, they're not there for the presence of Jesus. They're there for entertainment. You can, you can kind of get this sense that um, they're, they're just there for a bit of a show. They're just there to, to see what they can get out of Jesus. And you can imagine just as the level of anticipation, as the Passover festival approaches, everyone's sensing that kind of things are coming to a climax. There's this tension that's about to boil over. The crowd are, are waiting in the courts. They're saying, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival? Uh, and they're, they're really, they're, like I said, they're there waiting for the show. They want to see what happens when Jesus turns up and the religious leaders try to arrest him. They don't want the presence of Jesus. They want entertainment. That's, that's not worship. That's thinking about what I can get out of it. Even worse than the crowd are the religious leaders of Israel, the Pharisees and the chief priests. Um, a few verses before the ones we read, John records that they set up this meeting. So, the, you know, the, these religious leaders, at, the, at that point in time, Israel is governed by Rome. So Rome controls Israel. But, but these, these Pharisees and, and these, these priests, they have a real cultural leadership role within, within society. They've got a lot of influence there. And so they set up this meeting in response to Lazarus being brought back to life. And it seems like this meeting gets really heated. Uh, let's read together. You got you know, the... Yep, there we go. Great. Thank you, Danny. They, they say this, what are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is the man, this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. Do you not realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish? I'm just like, I'm, I'm sorry, what? Like, imagine, imagine Wellington City Council getting together for a second, and then all of a sudden they go, you know what, for this to work out, that person has to die. I'd just be like, 
come again? It'd be like, it's, it, it just sort of does my head in a little bit. And where am I? I lost my place. Sorry. <laughs> We're good. Okay. Um, these, these religious leaders, it's, it's kind of easy for us with 2,000 years of hindsight to judge the Pharisees harshly. You know, to look at their attitudes and their actions and think, man, how dumb can these guys be? They, they decide to kill Jesus because it's more convenient for them than, than facing the truth of, of, of their reality. But I'm becoming a lot slower to judge them as I've studied this passage because if I'm honest, I see so much of myself in their attitudes. There's something significant in the, in the statement they make about what's at stake for them. Have a look in this passage. For the Jews... Their temple and their nation was representative of all that God had promised to, to his special, his chosen people. The temple was a symbol of God's promise of his presence with them. It, it, the, it was a reality. God's presence with them was a reality that had made them distinct as a people for years and years and years and years. And their nation, the nation of Israel, was something that God himself had established. It was through Israel that, that God was going to bless the nations of the world. It was, it was all through Israel. So to say that they had a lot to lose is a huge understatement. But they, they'd missed it. They'd completely missed it. They'd missed the fact that Jesus was the fulfillment of all of God's promises to them. That Jesus was the gift of God's presence to him himself. That Jesus was there to establish God's kingdom on earth. And it was a kingdom that the Romans could never take away. That Jesus was the blessing for all nations. And that through him, through Jesus, God was going to remove the stain of sin. What had separated God from the children that he loved. Not just for Israel, but for the whole world for forever. Yeah, man, that, they'd missed it. How? How have they gotten it so badly wrong? I think the real issue the Pharisees had goes right to the core of what it means for us to worship. Their actions betrayed a sickness that was going on in their hearts that prevented them from seeing who Jesus really was. That pride had hijacked their hearts. Fear of what they could lose had poisoned their minds and, and their actions just reflected the decay that was going on internally. Somewhere along the way, God's promises had turned from, from these incredibly rich blessings into a sense of entitlement, a, a sense of pride, this holiness, a sense of being set apart for God's special use had, had turned into piety, a, a doing religious things because they thought that was how God was going to be pleased with them. And even though they had all the knowledge, all the history, all the promises, their hearts had become hard and calloused. They were so focused on, on keeping all of these promises for themselves that they had no room for worship. They had no capacity to give worship because they'd become so consumed with keeping all that they could get from God. The attitudes and the actions of the Pharisees stand in direct contrast to the beautiful act of worship that Mary brings to Jesus. What she does at this dinner party, what she does is nothing short of scandalous. Uh, it's so confronting, so outrageous, so extravagant that there would have been a similar reaction from those in the room as me on the escalator. Remember? Ah! That's what it would have been like. Let's, let's um, you know, that, that anger, shock 
you know, disgust, anger. It's all there. Let's read verse 3 really quickly, actually. Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Wow. Now, you know, again, with 2,000 years of distance, it's hard for us to kind of understand all the cultural and social dynamics that are going on in, in this story. But we've got to unpack it a little bit. Nard that is referred to here is, is a really expensive oil. It comes from a plant. And because it's so expensive and because it has such a powerful smell, it was usually only used really, really sparingly, just a few drops. They used it you know, in, in burial. They used it in food, a whole bunch of different things, but only a few drops at most. In in fact, you can still buy nard today. Um, if you jump on Amazon uh, and buy the same amount of nard that, that Mary had, about half a litre, it would cost you about $1,000. You could, you could buy it today if you wanted to. Apparently, it's got a woody aroma. Don't know what that means. <laughs> but in Jesus' day, that, that same amount of, of perfume was worth an entire year's wages. An entire year. Can you imagine a bottle of perfume worth about $40,000? That's what Mary's holding in her hands. Yeah? What would someone do with this super expensive bottle of perfume? Well, in those days, they didn't have KiwiSaver. There's no superannuation for when you retired or, or you couldn't work anymore. So this jar of perfume, this jar of perfume probably represents Mary's entire life savings. This is Mary's financial security for the future when she can't work anymore. The other thing that's critical for us to understand is that Back then, there's no Tupperware. There's no lids. You can't, you can't open something, save it for a couple of days in a piece of Tupperware, and it still keeps its freshness. I say a couple of days. A couple of boys in the staff office would say it's more like a week that you can keep stuff in Tupperware. It's okay. Um, not looking at you, Jamie. <laughs> oh, man. Um, this perfume would probably have been in, in a sealed clay jar completely sealed. And so the only way to get to the perfume, the only way to get to it was to break the jar, break it open. But once it's open, there's no going back. It's literally use it or lose it. So Mary takes this incredibly expensive perfume. She breaks the jar. She pours it over Jesus' feet. In fact, if you read the other accounts of the Gospels, it, it says that it's not only Jesus' feet that she pours this perfume over. It's, it's literally his whole body. It, he's covered head to toe in this, in this perfume. Uh, oh, I'm describing this because I want us to get a, a sense, a picture of, of what's happening in this, at this dinner party tonight. But then she goes a step further and begins to wipe his feet with her hair. Okay, again, a little bit weird, but in, in context, in the, in the Jewish context, uh, a woman's hair was so closely tied to her modesty. So a Jewish woman would never, ever leave the house with her hair uncovered. Never, ever leave the house with her hair uncovered. Even inside the family home, most of the time, the hair would be covered. And you would never, if you were a good Jewish woman, you would never, ever, 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 ever appear in front of a man who was not your husband without your hair uncovered. And so what Mary does in using her hair to wipe Jesus' feet is she's saying, even my personal dignity, even my reputation is not so precious to me that, I, that I'm willing to give it away in pursuit of worshipping Jesus. And why would she do this? That's, that's what's been wrecking me over these last couple of weeks. Why? Why would Mary do this? Why would she, what would cause her to make this incredible gesture of worship 
I mean, like I said at the beginning, you could easily look at this and, and say, well, Jesus raised Mary's brother Lazarus from the dead, sure. And so she's, she's being thankful. That's what she's doing. She's being thankful. And, and my response to that is, really? Is it, it, I mean, sure, it's, it's a bit of it's thankfulness, but is it just that? I mean, if I'm thankful to someone for doing something, I send them a card. You know, if, if I'm really, really thankful, I send them a card and some chocolates. But Mary has completely bankrupted herself in every sense of the word. She has bankrupted herself financially and she's ruined her security, financial security for the future. She's bankrupted herself socially. She's completely humiliated herself and destroyed her reputation and her dignity in front of a room full of people. And she did this only as a way of saying thank you to Jesus. If that's the case, then then her response is completely illogical completely irrational. It is a massive overreaction to what Jesus has done. But no. I don't, I don't think Mary's reactions are just about gratitude. It's much, much deeper than that. You see, I think Mary got it. I think Mary got what the Pharisees had missed. I think she got what John has been trying to say this whole time that Jesus is the word made flesh. He is God in human form, that he is the resurrection and the life. He's the one who's able to bring life in all its fullness now. And he's the one who's the remedy for the curse of sin for all eternity. And if Jesus is who he claims to be, then that changes everything. Changes everything. Mary's actions show that her worship was not simply an act of gratitude for what Jesus had done. It was the only logical an appropriate response to who Jesus is. The creator and the sustainer of the universe was sitting right there in the very room with her. And so this was her very best way, the only way she knew how to respond to that reality by giving everything that she had in worship. Everything. So my question simply for us is this. What's your worship like today? If you were to to take a step back for a second and maybe rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10, what score would you give yourself? What's your worship like today? John writes that as Mary pours out this perfume, the house is filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Mary's worship is costly. It's personal. It's intimate. And to be honest, it's a little bit messy. It's a bit messy. But as she worships, the whole house is filled with the fragrance of this perfume. You would not have been able to miss it. In fact, if you were in that room, the smell of this perfume would have been a little bit overpowering. Is that what your worship looks like today? Is is your worship so evident to others that when they look at you as you worship, they just say, wow, wow, that person must love Jesus. If, If you... Allow me, just ever so gently, I just want to encourage us and challenge us on some things as a community. You see, it's easy to look at Mary's worship and think, well, that's, that's okay for Mary. That's okay for her. But she is clearly a very exper- expressive person. She's the PDA type of person. And, and if, if I'm honest, it's just not me. I'm, I'm a bit more reserved. Or I'm a bit more intellectual. Or I'm a bit more masculine. Or I'm a bit more whatever it is. But whatever that, that thing is for you, fill the blank, it's fine. 
but I sense at times that, that we can be a little bit like the Pharisees, filled with the knowledge and the promises of God, but sometimes without that knowledge ever reaching our hearts. So that we become unwilling or, or even unable to give up costly worship to Him. And if that happens, our worship looks a little bit like this. Come on, Danny. You like that. Like a car air freshener. If we're unwilling to truly give our whole selves, our whole hearts, our whole minds to Jesus, then our worship will only be like the smell of a car air freshener. Cheap, generic, subtle, sanitized. And I know this because I'm speaking from personal experience. I realized this morning as Aidan spoke that my worship had become a bit like this. Generic, cheap, subtle, sanitized. It, it didn't cost me anything. And, and Jamie this morning led us in, in that incredible song, Victory. You know, the one, Victory, man. Uh, and I thought to myself, Josh, you've, 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 you've become so wrapped up in, you know, maybe thinking, I'm just a little bit too old for this song. I'm a little bit too old to, to show my joy and, and passion and everything that, that Jesus has done for me. I, I'm, I'm, I've become a little bit too reserved. So this morning, do you know what I did? I danced like a six-year-old girl. Exact, and I know this conclusively because there was a six-year-old girl standing next to me and I danced exactly like she did. Man, out the back, I should say. <laughs> Man, I got some weird looks for some, from some people. But you know what? I didn't care. I didn't care because my dignity, what I thought of myself, was I was not so precious about that that I was going to hang on to that instead of giving worship to Jesus. Uh, it's, you know what? The same situation that Mary was in, the same situation where Jesus, God made flesh, sitting in the room with her, where she recognizes who it is that is there with her, do you know what? We have exactly the same situation tonight. Jesus is here with us in this room. We have the same opportunity to respond. And what I would encourage you is, as the team lead us in worship, take that thing that is most precious to you and, and break it in worship to Jesus. And for many of us here, that's going to be a loss of reputation, maybe a laying down of pride a little bit. But this is a real come-as-you-are moment for us as a church. We, we say that, that anyone, regardless of where you are, can come to this place because we love you the same way Jesus loves you. You can come as you are. And that's absolutely true. Absolutely true. But there's actually another side of, of come-as-you-are, and it means that we begin to drop the masks. It means we, we come in authenticity and, and say, man, Jesus, this is, this is where I'm at right now. This is me being real right now. I'm going to be honest, for some of us, and this is something that I just believe might be a word for a couple of people tonight, I think for some of us there's going to be that financial cost as well. Maybe there's a, a career path that, that you, you begin to turn away from because you know that Jesus is calling you to something else. Maybe there's a promotional opportunity where you're like, oh, that, that might be me, but I think Jesus is calling me to something else. That might be something that, that you, you want to offer to Jesus in worship tonight. If that's you... If, if any of that is you, then this time and this space is, is yours. We've got this incredible 
moment tonight where we're going to respond in worship. And just even as I'm speaking, even as I'm speaking, God is highlighting some things in your life that you're going, man, that's something I need to lay down in worship. That's something I need to lay down in worship. As, as the team... As the team lead us, would, would you come? I, I, I'm, I mean physically, come. This space, there's space up the front, up the sides. And what I want us to do is respond in the same way that Mary did, recognizing who it was that, that stood with her in that room, who it was, God himself, right there. And let's respond not, not because, just because Jesus has died not just because he's risen again and not just because he's he's done incredible things man thank you so much um nairi and rebecca for your testimonies tonight so incredible of all that god has done we can we can worship with with that stuff but i also want us to worship jesus for who he is for who he is god himself present here with us thanks Dave.